Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I look at him as a sociopath. I mean, he's just an evil, manipulative, mean person. And he has no remorse or fear of consequence. Everybody was so scared of him. I felt like any time he was being nice, I felt like I was going to have to do something for it. I was just screaming and crying because it was just the fact that he had done this to another little girl and I knew like what he had done had to have been so insane for him to finally get arrested. It was shocking that I told everybody I tried to prevent this. I tried to save a little girl and nobody fucking listened to me. So I, I was so sad. I felt so much guilt. I still feel guilt. Like, my first memory, like, is what he had done to me. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. My mom is here. She's sitting in back of me watching me record, you know, judging. (laughs) She's got to. That's what moms do. That's what moms do. How are we feeling today, Lex? I'm feeling fantastic. We're getting tons of rain. I didn't leave the house today, and it felt great. (sighs) That feels so nice. I was trying on wedding dresses all day long, so I'm exhausted. I still have not recovered from New Year's. My voice is not back. So, you know, getting older really, really fucking sucks. It's really weird. I used to be able to go to the gym after a crazy night out. Now I'm just like, I'm, you know, comatose for two, two, three days. Yeah, that's exactly how how we're feeling now. So... Today is January 11th, and there's there's a lot of very various days going on. First of all, cigarettes are hazardous to your health day. Glad there's a day for it. Everybody should know that by now. Girl Hug Boy Day. I don't even want to know what that is. I'm not going to get into it. Might be seemingly nice, but very bizarre. Mm-hmm. And then it's National Hot Toddy Day. So I, think I that- have been leaning into the hot toddies this season. We've been having them at my house and I add like a little cinnamon stick sometimes. Mm. Yeah. We've been, we've been all about the hot toddies on these cold winter nights. They're the best. Totally. It's also national milk day, which I have been also enjoying with a cookie. Every time I have a cookie, it's really my indulgence. Real milk. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Do you have real milk at home? No, but like anytime I go out to get a 
a nice dessert, I get a glass of milk with it. I love that. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Yes. Okay. Mm. I love it. Well, that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. So we've all heard someone say the phrase, oh, how ironic. But what is irony really? The simplest definition of irony is when the opposite of what is expected happens, like when a cat chases a dog or someone posts about how social media is a waste of time on their timeline. Irony is life's funny way of keeping us in check. Whatever we thought we were getting, we aren't. It teaches us to expect the unexpected because for whatever reason, the universe has other plans in store. But what about when lighthearted irony turns dark? Like when we expect a person to raise us, defend us, or save us from harm. But instead, that person betrays us and becomes the dangerous threat our parents are supposed to be protecting us from. Like a father abusing his child, a member of the military hurting our country's people, or a criminal investigator who is actually the criminal. The line between irony and betrayal is blurry. And sometimes, the people we trust the most can lead us to harm. And when that happens, suddenly irony's humor is gone, and all we're left with is disappointment, heartache, and the inability to trust again. So today's case begins on August 8th of 2019. Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello's led the song charts, followed closely by Billie Eilish's Bad Guy. Moviegoers were enjoying Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, as well as Disney's live-action The Lion King. And uh, I love this fact. Love Island, you know, my favorite show of all time. Everyone's favorite show. UK's most popular TV shows just wrapped its first American season with rave reviews. And tragically, a few days before August 8th, the U.S. was rocked by two back-to-back mass shootings. The first took place in El Paso, Texas. Walmart and 23 people were slain. And 13 hours later, nine more people died in a second shooting at a Dayton, Ohio bar. And the setting for today's case is Indianapolis, Indiana. And Indianapolis is located in central Indiana and is the state's capital. With just under 900,000 people, it's the most populous city in the Hoosier state. The city was founded in 1821. And by the start of the Civil War in 1861, its many railroads made it a popular transportation hub. And today, Indianapolis continues to be a busy travel center, with six major highways crossing through it. And while the state of Indiana is known for its agricultural roots, Indianapolis is a bustling metropolis with multiple suburban communities and almost as many historical monuments as Washington, D.C. And of course, Indianapolis is famous for its annual racing competition. Everyone knows it, the Indy 500. And each Memorial Day, about 300,000 spectators gather at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to watch 33 racers compete for the $2 million prize. And our first degree for today's case is named Brenna. Brenna lives in Dayton, Ohio, but she was originally from Indiana, specifically a small suburb 20 miles southwest of Indianapolis called Mooresville. And since Brenna was a military brat, she spent her younger years moving around the country with her three siblings, mother and father. But she considers the Mooresville and Indianapolis areas her hometown. In 2019, Brenna's sister still lived in Indianapolis in the same house as Brenna's father, grandma, and other siblings. 
And on August 8th, she sent Brenna an urgent text message. She had some really important news for Brenna, news that would change her life forever. I was getting ready to leave my house and my little sister had texted me and I told her I was going to get my tires changed. And she was like, you know, call me when you're not driving. And I was like, you can like text it to me. It's fine. And so she texted me a long message and, you know, it said dad was arrested last night. Right. And this wasn't an arrest for past due traffic tickets, not for jaywalking or running a stoplight. These were serious charges. Brenna's sister watched as FBI agents, local authorities, and a SWAT team raided her family's home. And when the authorities first arrived, only Brenna's grandma was there. My grandma was at home by herself and like they started like beating on the door. And as she was like getting up to open the door, they like busted in and immediately took her phone and like searched her and they searched the entire house. And my little sister was on her way home from work and she pulled into her house and like there were like a SWAT, like everything was there. Like the entire street was lit up with police tape. Like it was just insane and so my sister is like walking up to the house and they stop her and you know they say you know you can't go in there and she says that you know that's her house and then they like took her aside and kind of like told I think they told her what all was going on. Brenna's father, 45-year-old Benny William Shuck II, was the last person you'd expect to run into trouble with the law. After all, he was a former police officer and a military veteran. He'd served with the Coast Guard in the 90s, and starting in 2003, Benny had risen through the ranks in the U.S. Army. He'd been deployed twice, once to Iraq and again to Kuwait. And by the time he retired in 2014, after 11 years of service, he was a respected sergeant first class. He'd received many medals, many honors, and many accolades for his exceptional service. Benny even worked in the U.S. Army's Criminal Investigation Division. Exactly. So for over a decade, Benny's entire job was to literally catch criminals for the military. So how could he have become one himself? With a glowing record like Benny's, you might think that this was all just a huge misunderstanding. You might think that, but you'd be wrong. Because Benny had been arrested for creating and distributing child pornography with his then-girlfriend and neighbor, 35-year-old Amber K. Talley. And the victim? Amber's nine-year-old daughter, who we're going to call Emma. And as the authorities raided Benny's house, they also searched Amber's house, which was right next door. About an hour after the officials kicked down Benny's door, Benny, Amber, and Emma arrived home from running a few errands that day. Immediately, the officers separated and questioned Benny and Amber. Within minutes, both adults admitted to sexually abusing Emma and documenting said sexual abuse with photos and videos. The girlfriend lived next door because my dad owned that house where the girlfriend lived, which goes into the power thing that he does. And so they searched her house as well. Well, as this is happening, my dad and Amber, like, pull up. They had gone to the store. So it was like, as soon as they pulled up, they were both arrested. And then Amber was questioned in her garage, and my dad was questioned in, like, the surveillance truck that they had there. He immediately admitted to everything. He said that it's not funny, but it's just, he's so fucked. He said that he may have, you know, touched her maybe, I think it was, like, less than 20 times something of that, as if that fucking mattered. Meanwhile, Emma was taken into police custody 
where a trained child interviewer spoke with her. And she told the interviewer that Benny and Amber inappropriately touched her for about two years. Emma also explained that the sexual abuse had stopped when she began fifth grade that year. But it was August and just the beginning of the fall semester. So investigators suspected that Benny and Amber would have continued sexually exploiting Emma had they not been caught. Dude, this is the craziest. Unbelievable. And most shocking thing ever. And it's it's so hard to believe that two people with criminally like deranged minds find each other like this. It never ceases to amaze me. And it always amazes me because I don't know how people like find each other like magnets. I know. We always talk about this in any case that two people find each other. It's like the shared delusion, the shared fucking crazy psychotic villainous. Yeah. That like it, it is insane to even know one person like that, let alone two. Like it really is an absolute fucking nightmare. Totally. So no matter how enraged we are and how much like it never makes sense, it is nothing compared to the devastation that Brenna felt upon hearing the news that her father had molested Emma. It was Brenna's worst nightmare because she had always known that her father was capable of such evil. In fact, for almost 20 years, Brenna had tried to tell her family, child protective services, and even the military that her father was a dangerous man. And no one believed her. I had just like run into my house and like fell on the floor and I was just screaming and crying because it was just the fact that he had done this to another little girl. And I knew like what he had done had to have been so insane for him to finally get arrested. It was just like, it was shocking that I told everybody, I tried to prevent this. I tried to save a little girl and nobody fucking listened to me. So I, I was so sad in the beginning. I felt so much guilt. I still feel guilt, but not as much as when it first happened. Like my first memory, like is what he had done to me. What happened to Brenna? What did Benny, an esteemed military officer in the criminal investigation division, do? And why did the people and organizations that were supposed to keep Brenna safe turn a blind eye instead? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We got to go back. Benny William Shuck II was born in June of 1974, and from the very beginning, Benny's life was heavily influenced by two opposing forces, the military and crime. On one side of the moral spectrum, Benny's grandfather was a World War II Army veteran. But on the other side, Benny's father, Benny Sr., was involved in organized crime, an interstate arson ring, insurance fraud, and possibly even murder. On August 12th, 1975, when our first degrees Brenna's father was just one year old, his father blew up a newly opened Genesis Bargain Mart in Noblesville, Indiana. Benny Sr. and his accomplices placed about 30 gasoline-filled milk jugs in the store, connected them with a gasoline-soaked toilet paper, and lit the end on fire. The store exploded in a massive blast. That is crazy. <laughs> Arson Insane. is crazy. Arson is terrifying. Oh, my God. An explosive arson? My Jesus Christ. Ugh. So it turns out that Benny Sr. was in cahoots with local businessman, nightclub owner, and alleged crime lord Damon L. Keaton. And police suspected Keaton financed the brand new store for the purpose of torching it and collecting the insurance money. Just as he'd done with Benny Sr. two times before. So they've done this shit before. This is a thing they do. It's a scheme they run. Yeah. It's 
talking crazy. And so far, their arson gang had burned down a house, a truck, and God knows what else, really, at this point. And it's estimated that the group of criminals made millions in insurance fraud. But even though the Genesis Bargain Mart was insured for $278,000, which is, by the way, $1.5 million in today's money, it never paid out. And soon after the fire, alleged arson mastermind Keaton was found dead in his luxury car with a bullet wound in his head and a gun in his hand. Keaton's death looked like a suicide, but investigators immediately suspected foul play. And remember, he's Benny Sr.'s partner. Keaton was a rich, successful guy who was happily married. No one thought this guy was a man on the brink of suicide. And who was the last person to see Keaton alive? His scheme fraud partner, Benny Sr. And Benny and Keaton had had a meeting just two hours before Keaton's body was discovered. So this is kind of painting a picture of the kind of man that raised Benny Jr., Right. And despite the suspicious circumstances, Benny Sr.'s involvement in his business partner's mysterious death was never confirmed. However, in 1977, he was convicted for his role in the Genesis Bargain Mart fire. But later, the charges against him were dropped on a technicality. A few years before, in 1973, Benny Sr. married his second wife in Indianapolis. Our first degree, Brenna's dad, Benny Jr., was born one year later. And from Brenna's understanding, Benny had a really tough childhood. And considering Benny's dad's criminal activities, that's not really surprising at all. But Benny made up for his lack of a father figure by having a very close relationship with his mother. Like, oddly close. He was a troubled child from what my mom says. My grandma put him in a crib with a bottle when he was like six months old and tried to kill herself. That's like sad and all, you know, but like not, not really because like he grew up to be an evil person. My mom told me that he was molested by an older female babysitter that he had in his neighborhood. I think it was like in his early childhood, maybe. And then he, like in his early, like teenage years, he got caught molesting two of the neighborhood boys and his mom and my papa, they got divorced when he was young. He's a super really odd mama's boy. It's very weird. Like my mom said that like when they first got together and she'd come home from work and my grandma would be like on their bed rubbing my dad's back with lotion. And it's like, that's like not like so weird, but it's like a little weird. We're with you, Brenna. It is incredibly weird. And like Brenna alluded to, in May of 92, Benny married Debbie Denise Hensley, who would later become Brenna's mother. And the sad truth is that Benny and Debbie weren't a match made in heaven. They were very young. We're seeing Benny's got some red flags. But they were, you know, high school sweethearts, and, and that relationship blossomed. And when Debbie became unexpectedly pregnant with Brenna's older brother, they both felt pressure to get married. That's what you did at the time. So my parents, they went to high school together and they got pregnant with my older brother when they were 17. And so naturally they did what they all do back then and they got married. My mom said that he was, you know, super controlling. He was very jealous. He was a cheater. She says that he was addicted to porn, all of that kind of stuff. A few months after marrying Brenna's mom, Benny joined the Coast Guard, and he completed his training in New Jersey, moved his family to his first station in New York, and then moved them again to his next station in Michigan, which is where Brenna was born around 1994. 
But for unknown reasons, Benny suddenly left the Coast Guard and moved his family back to Indiana. And in February of 1998, he started a new career as a Mooresville police officer. So he's going from military now to police work. So at first, this change looked like it was really going to work out for Benny. He seemed to kind of thrive. And the local paper even did an article about him and welcomed him onto the police force once he became an officer. Benny did some good work. He helped with some of the drug busts there in Mooresville, one of the biggest ones they'd ever seen. But he ruined everything when he ended up cheating on Brenna's mother. And the person he cheated with was another police officer's wife, one of his colleagues, which is like looking at this. If me and Jack were talking about someone we knew, we'd be like, that is so chaotic. Like, oh my gosh. I use the word chaotic to describe people's behavior now as an adult because I'm like, chaos is so terrifying for me where I'm yeah. like, I need stable. This is so chaotic. It's like, ooh, you're the new recruit at the police department and you just start banging your colleague's wife. And like, how do you think that's going to go? Yeah. Let me make the worst decision possible to make everybody's lives hell. My family and theirs and the police department and, and jeopardize my career. My mom had found out that my dad had cheated on her with, like, the, the police department. One of the other officers had, like, followed my dad or the wife or whatever because it was another officer's wife. And it just got around. So everybody at this police department knows my dad. They hate my dad. So I grew up having his last name. And anytime I said it, they knew who he was. It really sucks that Brenna felt the consequences of her dad's poor decisions. As a result of Benny's affair with another police officer's wife, Benny left the force and enlisted in the U.S. Army. Brenna's mom, Debbie, divorced Benny for cheating on her, which is understandable. But when Debbie realized that she was pregnant with Brenna's younger sister, she rekindled her relationship with Benny. And that's also really understandable. Raising kids is fucking hard. And Debbie was battling her own struggles like drug addiction. Benny provided stability, especially in the finance department. And at this time, Benny was working his way up the ranks in the U.S. Army's Criminal Investigations Division while stationed in Washington State. After several years in Washington, the Shucks moved back to Indiana around 2005 and Brenna's parents got remarried. But as Brenna entered her teen years, her parents' relationship was falling apart. And in 2009, Benny and Debbie divorced for the second time. Around then, Debbie had some legal trouble and went to rehab. And this is when Benny took Brenna and her siblings to his new home in Georgia. After living with her father in Georgia, Brenna began to realize that she didn't like her dad at all. He was mean, and Brenna was downright fucking scared of him. I was 14, maybe 13 or 14. My mom had just gotten into a bunch of legal trouble, like got some DUIs and was in jail and rehab. And my dad and her had just broken up from their second marriage that they decided to do. And while she was in rehab, he had taken me and my younger siblings to Georgia. So I came back because my grandpa had had a heart attack and I just didn't like living with my dad. That was the first time I had lived with him without my mom. I was only supposed to be here for like a week or two, I think. When it was time to go back, I just didn't want to. And so I stayed at my mom's parents' house. Once I kind of like realized like what I had done, like I had essentially betrayed my dad. I had made him mad and I was like, I was terrified of him. Anybody that like my dad didn't favor or if, if he didn't like you, you were like scum to him. He's a bully. I remember one time he had convinced my brother and I that somebody had 
poked a pencil into a candle and he told us that he was going to take it to work and get the fingerprints done on it and see who it was. Even though I knew I did not do that, I was terrified. I thought for sure I was going to get in trouble because he just was so terrifying. It shouldn't need to be said, but I'll say it. Children shouldn't be afraid of their parents. No. And these weren't the only times Brenna felt uncomfortable around her dad. Ever since she was a baby, Benny never really felt like a father to Brenna. And he kind of gave her the creeps. I don't ever think I ever found him to be loving, ever. My mom told me that, like, when I was born and when I was a baby, I never wanted him to, like, hold me. I would just scream and cry. And, like, I never bonded with him. So when I was growing up, even, like, before, I don't remember much of, like, him and, like, how I felt after, like, the events. It was hard because I wanted a dad. I wanted a relationship with a dad just like every girl does. But at the same time, it was like my skin would crawl, like, when I was around him. And I would immediately feel like I was in danger or that I was just constantly uncomfortable around him. And as Brenna got older, she continued to feel uneasy around her father, especially when Benny would constantly compare Brenna's looks to her mother's. And not in this wholesome, you're becoming such a grown-up kind of way. Benny was definitely crossing some father-daughter boundaries. I also resemble my mom, like, a lot, especially at, like, my age, because I'm 20 years younger than her. So, you know, when I was a teenager, my dad would make very inappropriate comments about how I looked and how I reminded him of my mom. I almost felt like it was, he was kind of like not picturing, you know, things with me, but like kind of. We went to a Prince concert one time when I was eight and he made me wear my mom's, like one of my mom's nice, like really fancy, like flowy dress shirts. And when we were walking downtown Indianapolis, he, like, made me hold his hand like a way that, like, couples hold hands, like, intertwined. And I just remember, like, knowing, feeling that, like, that's kind of weird. But at the same time, like, I just, I wanted affection from my parents. It was weird. I knew it was wrong. I felt like it should be wrong and he shouldn't be doing it. But at the same time, it was like, you know, it was my dad. I felt like any time he was being nice, I felt like something, like I was going to have to do something for it. I look at him as a sociopath. I mean, he's just an evil, manipulative, mean person. And he has no remorse or fear of consequence. Everybody was so scared of him. Somehow, Brenna's instincts warned her that her father was not the loving caregiver he should have been. And not the caregiver she deserved. She deserved better. And unfortunately, Brenna's instincts were right. Because Benny was a pedophile. And Brenna had proof. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think that we all know, if you're feeling your best, you feel like you can do great things, you can take over the freaking world. But sometimes life gets you bogged down, it makes you feel overwhelmed, and it makes you feel like you can't show up and be the best version of yourself. So working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I know when I'm not feeling my best, talking with somebody makes me feel so much better. Getting out there, maybe exercising, uh, you know, 
it makes you feel better. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part is you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash first degree today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash first degree, betterhelp.com slash first degree. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. In the early 2000s, when Brenna was about five years old, Benny was stationed at the Fort Lewis Army Base in Washington State, serving in the U.S. Army's Criminal Investigation Division. One night, he entered Brenna's bedroom. Brenna was lying in bed with her eyes closed as if she was asleep, but she wasn't. 
Benny walked into her room, reached underneath her pajamas, and groped her. And while it was happening, Brenna opened her eyes to confirm the person molesting her was, in fact, her father. And Benny only stopped when Brenna's mother called him from the bedroom across the hall. And according to Brenna, this was the only time Benny had ever molested or sexually abused her. But the once is enough. He had single-handedly annihilated any trust Brenna ever had in him. So this is like one of the things that I do struggle with because it only happened once. And like for the longest time, I would say it was only, you know, once it wasn't that, you know, big of a deal. And that's why for like so long, I was able to not like face it, not have like confront it. But now looking back, it's not what he did to me that like affects me. It's the lie that I had to live for so long. He could probably give you a book on a guide to be a pedophile and get away with it because that's he was able to manipulate everybody around him because it was his job to like crack these guys into confessing. So it is disgusting. For years, Brenna didn't tell anybody about her traumatic experience. She acted like it didn't happen, which is probably what most people would have done. Brenna was still going to see and interact with her father, and she had to survive somehow, and staying silent felt like the only option. As Brenna later told the Indianapolis Star, at the end of the day, how do you say that your dad, who is a military criminal investigator, did this to his daughter? I knew nobody would believe me. And to make matters even more complicated, Brenna was also concerned because Benny took care of her family financially. Remember, Brenna's mom was battling addictions and legal problems, and she couldn't support Brenna and her siblings without Benny's help. And even as a young child, Brenna understood that if Benny lost his job or went to prison because she reported this abuse, their family would be in trouble financially. I was afraid that I couldn't survive without my dad, at least financially helping me or knowing that like I had a a dad because I already knew my mom was obviously not reliable in any sense. We relied on him financially, like, to the extreme. So at the same time, it was like I ignored all of those feelings of how I felt. And, like, I just kind of acted like, I mean, I was fake. I was fake to my dad in order to, like, get things that I needed when I was growing up. But in 2008, when Brenna was 13 or 14 years old, she gained the courage to tell her cousin about that terrible night. I told my cousin, who was living at my grandparents' house, and we were super close. And when I told my cousin, she told my mom. And then that's when CPS got involved. I talked to that CPS worker. I told her what happened. I told her what he had done. And as a child, I left it in the hands of the adults. Despite having every reason not to trust adults, Brenna took a leap of faith and trusted them anyway. And the processes that were intended to keep Brenna safe began. Child Protective Services passed along the information about the sexual abuse to Benny's employer. And then the U.S. Army opened up a misconduct investigation on Benny. When it happened, he was a criminal investigator on sex crimes for the military at the time that I came forward. And the police showed up at his house and they took my siblings out and like to the police station and they questioned them. And they like questioned my dad. He was on desk duty, I think, while he was investigated And my sister told me that my dad sat her and my little brother down and told them that because of my mom, 
and the nasty divorce that what they were going through that I was saying some bad things that were not true to get, you know, him in trouble. And he told him that he was being, you know, looked into at work. And my dad told my siblings that he took a polygraph test and he passed. And that's what he's held on to all of these years. Next thing I knew, my mom told me that they had to close the investigation because we would have had to go to Washington State to file a police report because that's where it had happened. And it was already almost at the statute of limitations. They tried to interview me and my mom did not let them because she was in jail at the time. And because she could not be there with me while I was being questioned, she did not allow them to do that. And when I found that out, I lost my mind. It wasn't her choice to make. And uh, it could have changed a lot of things had I was given that choice because nobody listened to me. Like nobody did. It was basically swept under, you know, they all believed him. So it was just kind of dropped after that. Nobody talked about it again. Nobody ever acknowledged it. Nothing. I dropped it too, because my dad never gets caught. My dad never, ever suffered any consequences. They did not keep me safe. Nobody did. Okay, so needless to say, that investigation wasn't handled well. Colonel Don Christensen, a former chief prosecutor for the U.S. Air Force and sexual assault advocate, told the Indianapolis Star, you don't just close it without talking to the victim or alleged victim. You should never do that. You don't just quit. If you have an allegation that one of your own is a child molester, you just can't ignore it. But it seemed as though this is exactly what happened when Brenna reported her abuse. And also, why was the U.S. military, an industry where people are known for moving all over the country, making Brenna travel to a different state to file a police report to give her side of the story on this abuse? I mean, she's a child. Like, she's a minor. That is so fucking crazy. And do computers suddenly not exist? Do phones not exist? I mean, people give statements remotely all of the time especially given federal entities, you know, like the military, who have stations and people everywhere. But it seems as though, and this is probably the excuse they'd use, that the bureaucratic tape here is pretty insane. But ultimately, I think we can all agree that this military investigation into Brenna's molestation and assault claims, it was botched. It was not handled well. It's, you know, not good shit. And in cases of sexual assault, the U.S. military is pretty famous for messing things up. According to the Indianapolis Star, there were over 6,000 reports of sexual assault in the military in 2021 alone. Of those 6,000 cases, only 6% went to trial, and less than 3% of the perpetrators were convicted. And keep in mind, these numbers only include victims who reported the assault and pursued an investigation. So God only knows what the actual rate of sexual assault in the military actually is. Tragically, most of Brenna's family didn't believe her either. Brenna was branded a liar and left to fend for herself against her father. And to manage her intense psychological pain, Brenna began self-medicating in her teens. And she started engaging in self-harm behavior and dabbled in drugs. And over time, Brenna's drug experimentation evolved into an addiction. And it's easy to empathize with Brenna here. She had to find some way to process her trauma and cope with this dysfunction that she's been born into. I know that they didn't at the time. Nobody did. I have proof now that like my mom even didn't believe me. A lot of people don't get with drug addiction is that it's, it's trauma. Like that's 
what stems from drug addiction. I didn't wake up one day and like, oh, hey, I want to do some heroin. Originally, I started to self-harm when I was like 14. After I told what had happened um, is kind of when I started to spiral. And then I had gotten into like trouble for drinking. Um, I got a park and I got like a little warning thing, whatever they're called for minors. And then I'd gone to a psych ward for a little bit. And then I started smoking weed originally when I was in middle school and on like a freshman in high school. I think that I, no matter what, would have had to find something to escape from like the pain that I had and like what I was always trying to escape my trauma. And if you thought things couldn't get worse, instead of reprimanding Benny for his crimes, the U.S. Army rewarded him. After Benny's first deployment to Iraq in 2006, he had been requesting to go to Kuwait. In 2010, two years after Brenna came forward, Benny's wish was granted. While in Kuwait, Benny provided a video interview to an Indiana news station around the holiday season so he could say Merry Christmas to his family. That is right. And we just happen to have the audio from that segment right here. So here is Benny. I miss you guys very much. Uh, Keep doing good things in school and let you know that dad's proud of you and I miss you. And I'll see you as soon as I can. I love you guys. I miss my kids a whole lot. Uh, This is the first time I've been away from them during the holidays. So it's going to be kind of rough for them as well as me. But uh, they're strong. I know they'll make it just as well as I will. I talk to my kids pretty regularly, and uh, I'm able to email them and talk to them, um, and and their mom also. So uh, email's a good thing over here. It's chilling, and from this clip, you wouldn't know that Benny was a pedophile who not only sexually assaulted his daughter, but would go on to commit other crimes. And you also wouldn't know that that same daughter was struggling with drug addiction due to his actions. And as we mentioned, Benny retired from the military in 2014 with a spotless record. And sometime around 2017, Benny met a woman on Tinder named Amber. Amber K. Wyatt was born on September 1st of 1984. She had two sisters. She was from Indianapolis and appeared to have been a hairstylist. And when Amber was around 18 years old, she married 20-year-old Thomas E. Talley on July 19th, 2003 and changed her last name to Talley. Around 2010, Amber had a daughter who we have been calling Emma. And around 2018, Amber had divorced Thomas and was now dating Benny. Amber moved into the house next to Benny's, so they lived extremely close together. Yeah, and the proximity probably wasn't good for this whole shared delusion, shared, like, disturbed criminal mind thing, right? Yeah. Because this is when Benny and Amber use the convenience of their close proximity to one another to engage in the shared abuse of Emma. So we're going to describe Benny and Amber's sexual abuse briefly. If you need to skip ahead 30 seconds, now would be the time. But the U.S. Department of Justice reported that Benny and Amber molested at least two prepubescent children under the age of 12, one of whom was Emma. We don't know much about the first victim. Their identity has been protected and a lot of that information is sealed. We don't need it. That's all we need to know. Somebody was hurt. But in Emma's case, we will provide some details that'll just help paint a picture of, of who these people are who did this. So they would course Emma in engaging in all kinds of sexual abuse, you know, forcing her to show them her genitalia, sex toys were involved, and sh- making her touch them inappropriately. And Benny and Amber also took pictures and videos of the sexual assaults to create 
what's referred to as child porn. Sometimes Benny and Amber were in the videos and photos with Emma. And I learned recently, and I think this is interesting, I don't know if other true crime people know this, but people throw around the term child porn pretty freely. But I learned that porn inherently has this implication that it's voluntary and and driven by consent. So children can't give consent. So the proper term for this kind of material is child exploitation material. So that's what this is. And I think that's a fair way to describe it. Yeah, It's abusive material that a child could never consent to participating in. Benny and Amber had these videos and they would go on Kick Messenger, which apparently is an anonymous communications app. And law enforcement sometimes refers to this app as the predator's paradise because it is encrypted. What do you know about it, Jack? I mean, it was kick was also just a thing that like kids, I think it was generation after us. So maybe it's more of like a Gen Z sort of a thing. But like I hear all the time of like people talking on kick. So it's even more terrifying that allegedly this is also where a lot of child predators are making their rounds. Yeah, it's it's so disgusting. So on kick and over kick, Benny would send this homemade child exploitation material and share these these images and depictions with other pedophiles he'd somehow found. People who, I don't know how people find each other, if there's code words they're using, but there was a whole ring of people who Benny and Amber were circulating this material to. And one of these people who Benny knew personally, who he was sending this material to, was a woman named Diana Rowe. And she's named in a lot of the court documents. So five years before he started dating Amber in 2014, Benny had met 50-year-old Diana on Tinder. And like Benny, she lived in Indianapolis and they met up for sex once and afterward they connected on Kick. On one occasion when Benny sent Diana child exploitation material, which included both Amber and Emma in the image, he texted Diana, that was her mom's hand, LOL. It's fucking disgusting. Vile. Later, he asked Diana to keep the sexually explicit photos and videos to herself, and this is what Diana responded. She said she would never share the personal photos, and she thought it was really awesome that he found Amber and Emma. I can't even like say that. It's so I know it's so insane. vile. Like Ugh. it's just unfathomable. Again, how do you find this other f- person? Well, <laughs> I just also think it's what Amber is doing goes against everything innate and instinctual about a mother-parent relationship protecting your child, yeah. Yeah, protecting your child, not wanting your child to face harm. These videos, it just goes against everything we're taught about the way we treat children. And I I struggle to understand it truly. Yeah. So we're now in like 2019 and the Louisiana police are investigating this child pornography ring that is operating primarily through kick messenger. This is what we've been talking about. And when Diana's involvement was discovered in May of that year, she allowed the police to search her laptop and her iPhone. When authorities investigated Diana's devices, they found out that she'd exchanged child exploitation material with about 30 other kick users, one of which was our first degree Brenna's father, Benny William Shuck II. Right. And in July 3rd of that year, investigators subpoenaed Benny's username, which was, brace yourselves, Ben Boogie. <laughs> okay. And Kick Messenger did provide this information. Investigators used that information to find Benny's phone number, house address, vehicle records, and beyond. So from the child exploitation material that Benny had sent Diana, investigators knew that an adult woman was involved in Benny's illegal sexual conduct. 
And on August 7th, an FBI agent drove past Benny's home to gather information and do some like initial recon. That agent saw Amber Talley's vehicle and saw that it was parked in Benny's driveway. So after that, they found Amber's public Facebook profile and that agent verified. Oh, so in one of the photos, there was a tattoo on the woman uh-huh. and in finding her Facebook, they verified that the tattoos that Amber had matched the tattoos in the child exploitation videos. Mm. Careful what you put on the internet, people. I'm, I'm glad people do it and are stupid because I'm glad she's been caught. Yeah. But I think it's so ironic when people set themselves their own traps. Oh my God. Yeah. What did you think? <laughs> yeah. What did you think you were like invincible? What is wrong with these people? But Ugh. either way, based on these matching tattoos, Indiana Crimes Against Children Task Force received a search warrant for Benny and Amber's houses in August of 2019. So on August 8th, FBI agents executed the raids and they scared the shit out of Brenna's grandma and the entire process. And during their search, agents found multiple items in Amber's house that had been visible in the sexually explicit images that Benny sent to Diana on Kick Messenger. Some of these items included one of Emma's socks, hot pink bedding, sex devices, and sex-related wall hangings. And as we established earlier, when Emma, Benny, and Amber arrived, the police took Emma to a safe place and began interrogating Benny and Amber. Right. And initially, Benny refused to give the FBI his iPhone password. But once he realized he was screwed, you know, he's a criminal investigator himself. And I think at a certain point, he's like, ah, they're going to get me. me. You got me. He relented and he handed it over. Ultimately, Benny confessed to sexually abusing Emma, producing sexually explicit images of her and sending them to others. He said he deleted his kick app around January of 2019 because he was spooked by the exploitation material and felt remorseful for distributing these images. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You were just afraid to get caught. Yep. You're just afraid to get caught. And he'd been spending all of his time in the criminal investigation division learning how to be good at this. And he was rusty because he retired five years earlier in 2014. And he got fucking arrogant because he'd been getting away with his shit for his entire fucking life, like every fucking dude. So this is what happens. You get away with shit a lot and then you get fucking lazy like Benny. And he's getting fucking caught. And take that as a lesson, everybody. You're going to get fucking caught. And Benny justified his actions by saying he'd only sexually molested Emma fewer than 20 times. Oh, nice. What a guy. What a, what a nice guy. Stand-up yeah. dude. So while this is all happening, Amber is really trying to pin everything on Benny. She said that Benny threatened to take Emma away if she didn't participate, which doesn't really make sense that she would think this because Benny wasn't related to Emma and he or had no... they weren't married. No. Like, how could you fucking take her away? Unless, well, I Unless will he say, kidnaps her, I guess. No, but Brenna did tell me that Benny would use, like, his knowledge of, of like his police work and army stuff, he would intimidate people like that. Yeah. I mean, he's not an idiot. It's possible Amber's telling the truth, but I don't buy her shit because they found mm. each other because they're both into this garbage. No, absolutely not. So Amber also claimed that some of the photos, this is disgust. This is, could be the worst thing. <laughs> she claimed that some of the photos were for teaching her daughter about sexual health and hygiene. It just like makes me so sick. So sick. So apparently Amber had no idea how any of the videos were taking claiming that Benny recorded them without her knowledge. Likely story, you idiot. Likely story. So on May 4th of 2021, 46-year-old Benny Shuck II and 36-year-old Amber Talley 
Ew. They're like, she's in her age range. It makes me so sick. You know, These she's people are her age. Yeah. Ugh. So gross. They both pled guilty to the charges of sexual exploitation of a minor, producing child exploitation material with the minor victim and distributing child pornography. And during the sentencing hearing, the prosecuting attorney told the judge years ago, and I got to tell you, Brenna was sitting in the front row of the court. She looked at Brenna years ago. We had a chance to stop this. And she was looking at Brenna who was sitting with her family. And like, that was a very validating moment for Brenna because this is all she wanted to stop. And in this prosecutor validating that meant the world to her. So then when he finally went to court in 2021, the judge had said at one point, she's like, how do we stop this? Like, how do we make this stop happening to the children? And the prosecutor said, the way that we stop this is that we listen to the children because he's been accused of this once before and nobody listens. And like the entire courtroom was just like silent and I just started hysterically crying. I had some kind of relief when he was sentenced, but like I still felt like I didn't get my voice heard. I didn't get my day in court. Benny and Amber were sentenced to 45 years in prison. And over 15 years after Brenna tried to call attention to Benny's child molestation, the U.S. Army reopened Brenna's investigation. For the first time ever, they were finally listening to her. A military criminal investigator who Brenna knew was determined to right the U.S. Army's wrongs as best she could. And through this reopened investigation, even more of Benny's transgressions were brought to light. She is a criminal investigator for the military right now. She had reached out to me. And she told me that even if, like, I don't get, like, a day in court, it still needed to be acknowledged, like, what happened to me in the military. And so then I went and talked to a CID agent, and that was, like, the first time I've ever been in an interrogation room with, like, there was cameras, like, recorded everything. And, like, I was literally, like, sitting across from the same person that my dad, like, the same position that my dad was. I don't even know how to describe it. It was terrifying. And then through their investigation of all of this, they had like found a computer hidden in a wall at my grandma's house. And on that computer is like with images and videos of him raping my mom. And then he had like asked, like was trying to, as my friend at the time, we were 16. He was like kind of like manipulating her, I think, or trying to sext her and get her to send her him pictures. And she didn't do it, but she talked to the investigators. Since Benny won't get out of prison, federal prison, until he's 90 years old, military prosecutors are pretty sure he's not ever going to leave prison walls. But on the off chance that he does, high-ranking military personnel informed Brenna that Benny would head straight to military prison. They would charge him with the additional crimes that were discovered during the reopened investigation of her case. Finally, Brenna was validated and she received some semblance of justice. It's not perfect by fucking any means, but acknowledging her trauma and pain and her experience means a lot to anyone who's trying to heal or overcome something. It's way fucking too little too late, but it's it's better than nothing. They went back through and did it is because they didn't do a thorough investigation. And they did tell me that they acknowledged me. So I am thankful for that. They said that, you know, the people at the time, they're retired now, but that they did not do their job. So I have 
somewhat of closure with it all. When Brenna reflects on everything, she's filled with a mix of challenging emotions. She's upset that her family never apologized to her, frustrated that her father never acknowledged his pedophilic nature. But in some ways, Brenna is grateful that she can share her voice and her story to empower other women who have also faced sexual assault, especially in the military. I'm not thankful for my parents. I haven't gotten to that you know, point yet, but I have gotten to the point that I've accepted like what happened to me and what he did to me. And I hate more than anything that I didn't fight for my voice to be heard more at the time. I feel like I let myself down in a way, but at the same time, I'm thankful that I know what it's like. And I know I felt so alone all of my childhood, all of growing up like that I'm able to like help people now, like women and children, because I know like I can pinpoint the things like with men or people in law enforcement and authority. And cause not everybody talks about this stuff, like especially people in authority and that's and military. And that's like why my biggest thing of wanting my story out there is, is because just because they're law enforcement, military, Anything of that doesn't mean that they're always a good person. In the U.S. military, sexual assault is a problem. This isn't an opinion. It's a cold, hard fact. And according to the military's own documents, fewer and fewer victims are reporting sexual assaults they're experiencing in the military. But even though reporting is significantly down, sexual assaults have skyrocketed. And since 2020, they've increased by more than 13% in the military. And in 2021, almost 36,000 active duty members experienced unwanted sexual contact. And those numbers don't even take into account sexual abuse committed by military officers against civilians, like in Brenna's case. This is just, you know, soldier to soldier. The harsh reality is that the military is failing to discipline their own. Sexual abusers, rapists, and child molesters walk free as long as they walk in their dress blues. This is a systemic problem that our country needs to address. How is the culture of military cultivating a safe haven for predators? And what can we do to stop it? Because if we can't protect our own military members and their families from sexual assault, then who is our military really protecting? Thank you so much, Brenna, for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Make sure to join our Patreon if you want any bonus content because we have a brand new episode every single week. And check back tomorrow for a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are Court Documents, Indianapolis Star, Forbes, Ancestry, The Reporter Times, U.S. Department of Justice, FBI, The Washington Post, and Police Affidavits. And as always, Brenna, you, you hero, our First Degree guest is always our largest source. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.